Do we have anyone here uh, who's Scandinavian? Any Scandinavians? Am I the only one? Oh, yeah, there we go. Be proud about that, you know. Uh, my, my, my dad's side, one grandparent uh, was 100% Swedish, and the other one was 100% Norwegian. And I always remember they had on their fridge, it was a Norwegian diamond pin. It was really a dime that was glued to a safety pin, and that was a, a magnet on the fridge. And, and that kind of, in a nutshell, describes Scandinavian humor. And uh, if you're familiar with it, uh, you may have heard of Oli and Lena jokes. Um, it's just basically you know, a Scandinavian family, and they have all these different jokes. Um, some, some we can talk about right now, and some we can't. Um, but there's one that I just always remember. I don't know why. It just always stuck in my head. Because see, Oli's got this friend, Sven. And they're always getting into trouble together. But Sven's a good friend. And so anytime Oli needs him, he calls up Sven and his buddies, and they all come, and, and they work together. And so Oli is building a house. And he's building it for Lena, his wife. And, and so she wants to see how things are going. And okay, they got the framing up. And so the boys are all working. Sven's got his crew out there, and they're working. And Oli's bringing Lena by, and she's walking her through the house. And, and he's, all right, well, I got, I got to jump in here and work some too. And he's looking for his buddy Sven. And all of a sudden, he sees... He sees he's swinging from one of the rafters. He gets a little closer and he can hear. He's saying, I'm a light bulb. I'm a light bulb. Okay, well, that's odd. Well, he just kind of picks up a hammer, starts doing some work he had to do, and, you know, comes close to lunchtime. And he looks up and, you know, goes back to where his, his buddy Sven was supposed to be doing some work, and he's still swinging from the rafters. I'm a light bulb. I'm a light bulb. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I know my friend's a little odd, Oli thinks, but whatever. So they, they break for lunch, and... And they all you know, go back to work, all, you know, Oli and Sven and all his buddies. And he's, Lena's there too, you know, just surveying what's happening here. And, and uh, Sven goes back up to the rafters, grabs on, starts swinging back and forth. I am a light bulb. I am a light bulb. Oli's just had enough at this point. And he just, he, he loses it. And he yells at his friend, Sven, you get down from those rafters right now and knock it off. Just, just go home, why don't you? And so Sven climbs down and he goes home. And all of a sudden, as, as Oli's working, he realizes it's, it's gotten really quiet. And, and he looks around and all his, all his other buddies who are helping him are, are packing up their tools and they're getting ready to go home. And he's like, where are you guys going? We still have half a day left. And they said, well, we can't work without light. <laughs> Welcome to Oli and Lena jokes. Welcome to Oli and Lena jokes. So it, it's one thing to say what you are. It's another thing to be that. One thing to say what you are, it's a whole other thing to be that. So you can say that you're a light bulb all that you want, but are you being one? See, see, many people in our culture would identify themselves as Christian. We would, we would put that identification upon ourselves. So yeah, I, I'm a Christian. We'd call ourselves that. But are, are we truly being one? Do we, do we understand what that looks like, what that means to live in the reality of, of being a follower of Christ? See, we can be called Christian, but we're called to be a disciple. It's interesting, if you look at the New Testament, you actually only see the term Christian about three times. And two of them, it's actually uh, uh, in a derogatory way, trying to say, oh yeah, you're, you're those people who are associated with Christ. And it really, eventually, in, in culture, came to be uh, uh, you know, something, no, a definer. Yeah, we, we are Christ followers, and, and we're called that. We don't, you're not putting us down by calling us a Christ follower or calling us a Christian. But you see in the New Testament, the word disciple, almost over 250 times does it appear in the New Testament. And so we see that we're called to be a disciple. And honestly, if we want to say, what does a disciple do? Well, a disciple makes disciples. 
And that's the last value that we're going to hit on. We've walked through all six values. This is the last one we're hitting on here this week, is that disciples make disciples. If we want to define real quick what, what a disciple is, the simplest definition I can give you is that a disciple is a learner. Is a learner, plain and simple. And so I know, I know typically when we hear the word disciple, we think of the biblical context, we think of a disciple of Jesus, but you can have disciples in other arenas and other areas of life and say, I'm a disciple of so-and-so, and I'm learning from them. If, if you're a big fan of movies and you enjoy the Star Wars uh, uh, trilogies, you, you see that the, the young Padawan you know, is a disciple of their master. And it's not just a, hey, show me some stuff. Hey, teach me a few things. But that they follow them around and there's a sense of doing life together. That There's this, this teacher-pupil uh, uh, concept. It's not uh, the, the teacher mindset that maybe comes to mind for us here in, in, in the States when we think of, okay, we send our kids to school and they're there for a few hours and then they, they have all these multiple teachers that they sit in and then they go back home and you know, that, that each teacher has limited impact because they have limited time. It, it's, it's much broader than that. You know, maybe another broken analogy, it's almost like a Mr. Miyagi kind of taking you under my wing and I'm going to walk you through some things. We're going to do some things together and in them is a lesson. So a disciple is a learner. And so a disciple of Jesus is one who is learning to be like Jesus. And so when we think of the 12 disciples, they were right there with Jesus. They could watch his example. They could watch how he lived his life. And they did life together for about three years of Jesus' public ministry. See, this is an interesting value when you compare it to the other five because uh, the rest are all things that a disciple does. And yet it doesn't fully encompass the definition or or the duties of of a disciple. See, a disciple of Jesus finds people and brings them to meet Jesus. That should sound familiar, right? Sounds like found people find people, one of our value statements. A disciple of Jesus finds people and brings them to meet Jesus. Uh, A disciple of Jesus grows and changes to be like Jesus. A disciple will acknowledge that there are aspects of our lives uh, where we are not yet like Christ, and because I'm a learner, I'm learning to be like Jesus, and when I see areas of my life that, that uh, uh, stand opposed to Jesus, I change, I grow. Living things grow. Growing things change. A disciple of Jesus would give generously because Jesus gives generously. God's people give. A disciple of Jesus would serve sacrificially because Jesus served sacrificially. Save people serve. A disciple of Jesus does life together in fellowship with other disciples. We call that the church because they can't do life alone. And so these are the value statements we've already hit on. And so we get this last one, a disciple makes disciples. And on one hand, this is, is a very simple task, a very simple uh, definition of the role of a disciple, and yet it has wide uh, implications upon our lives. It's saying we're going to be this, we're going to be a disciple maker. We're going to be someone who points people to Jesus as we learn about him ourselves. And really to unpack this a little more, we're going to go through Matthew 28, uh, starting in verse 16. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open, open those up. Matthew 28, verse 16. If you want to turn them on and go digital, we're always a fan of that. Any way to get the Word of God in front of you is a good thing. If you need a Bible, take one of the pew Bibles, uh, call it your own, make notes in it, put your name in it, bring one for a friend, or bring your friend here and then give it to him. Either way works for us. We're going to be in Matthew 28, 
Verse 16 is where we're going to start. And we're going to just walk through a few of these verses. and We're going to eventually land to what's called the Great Commission. Basically what's going on here is uh, this is uh, the end of Matthew's gospel and Jesus has uh, already risen from the grave. He's already appeared to his disciples multiple times and multiple disciples, not just uh, what we would uh, think of the 12, um, but you know, there's a broader group of followers who are uh, disciples of Jesus and he's appeared to them as well. But now here he stands uh, before we're going to find out is the 11 and he kind of has this, this last commission for them uh, that he's going to leave them with before he ascends into heaven. So Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. That may, if, depending on, on your background, if you grew up in the church, that may have just sounded odd to you. You don't hear the eleven disciples very often. It's usually the twelve disciples, or the twelve apostles. And, and so Steve, what's this eleven disciples? So again, put yourself in the context, put yourself in the time frame. This would have been after Judas had betrayed Jesus, and I was out of heart of guilt and just, what have I done? Uh, uh, commits suicide and kills himself. And so Judas is out of the picture. And yet this is before that the church has been established and the Holy Spirit has come upon the disciples. And, and you see at the, the celebration of Pentecost, you see that they're speaking languages they can't speak. And, and hundreds and thousands are coming to Christ. And the church is basically being born right then and there. So we're, we're in this in-between phase. Because then it, when that happens, they, 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 they bring someone else up to take Judas's role. And so for a brief moment... Uh, as far as for the 12, it's now 11. Let's keep going. Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, on one hand, this may, may seem natural to you. Okay, well, it makes sense that, that uh, a disciple in the presence of Jesus worships. Now, that's, that's one of the things that we do here both corporately on a Sunday morning and hopefully uh, privately in your own individual life, that when you come into the presence of God, that you worship. And because the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we see in God's Word, the Holy Spirit uh, dwells inside believers, uh, we can say that the, the, God is with us at all times, and so everything we do should be an act of worship. Everything we, we do, we should be thinking about how does this honor God? How does this uh, uh, impact the kingdom? And so that's one of the reasons that we, we sing songs of praise on a Sunday morning. It's one of the reasons we give back through our tithes and offerings. It's one of the reasons that we serve. Uh, it's a, a living act of sacrifice, an act of worship. Because when we're in the presence of God, it's natural for a disciple to worship. And so that's one of the things we do as disciples is we worship God. In doing so, we acknowledge him as God, Right? We acknowledge him as Lord of lords and King of kings. We say, God, you are in charge. I'll, I'll submit my authority to you because you're God and you are worthy of worship, not me. This isn't the, hey, I'm going to worship me. Look how awesome I am. No, I'm giving you all the glory, God. We're putting him in a place of authority and it orientates our hearts into a position of submission to God and willing to follow him. And so after th three years of ministry with with. Jesus, the disciples have seen some amazing stuff. They've witnessed Jesus rise from the dead and, and they've uh, written, witnessed the empty tomb. And yet some still had doubt. It says, okay, and some doubted. Really, when I see that, that kind of gives me some hope. I says, okay, the disciples too, the, 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 the guys who were, uh, some of the guys who were with Jesus and witnessed this stuff firsthand, they still had this something inside. I'm like, I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Really, I see that, and I see, okay, they're on a journey too. And that's okay, because they're doing it right. And here's what I mean by that. 
They didn't abandon fellowship. It wasn't, hey, the disciples who, who still fully bought in you know, and had no doubt, they, they went and they worshipped Jesus and got this message from him, and then there were a few who doubted, and so they went fishing. No, they're here, listening. Jesus said, go to this mountain in Galilee. What did they do? They went. I'm still a little unsure on parts of this, but this is Jesus, and, and, and he said to go, and he was supposed to be dead, but now he's alive, and he's saying go here, so I, I don't get it, but I'm going. So in the midst of your doubt, if you're feeling doubt in any aspect of your walk with God or any aspect of, of trying to understand who Jesus is, all too many times when we feel that way, we feel like we need to abandon it all. It's all I, I just I don't know what to do with this, and we step back from it. Let's follow the disciples' example and say, no, I, I can lean into this. I can, I can explore. And that's the second thing they, they did, is they explored who Jesus was. We see in, in Luke's account where it uh, um, singles out Thomas to say that he uh, doubted. And Jesus goes up to him and says, put your hands in my wounds. Feel my, 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 the holes in my hands and in my side. Let that affirm for you that this is me, that this is Jesus. And what's so cool about that is how close do you need to be, be to someone in order to touch their hand? Pretty darn close, right? Unless you've got really long arms. But you've got to be pretty close to touch someone. And, and so if they had withdrawn from Jesus, if they were withdrawn from one another, they would have never been able to truly investigate and explore who Jesus is. And so if you're feeling a sense of doubt, don't let your next step be one of going away from God. But go closer and explore and examine and ask questions. Even the big, hard, tough ones. Our God has big shoulders. He can handle your questions. He can handle your doubt. So I trust that when we explore who Jesus is, we see him for who he truly is. And while we may not have all of our questions answered, it can move us to a place of worship, of acknowledging, Jesus, you are God. And so they, they listen to Jesus, they go to this mountain in Galilee, and, and they worship him, and there's, some are still like unsure of what's going on here. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think for a second about the things that the, the disciples witnessed. They saw Jesus turn water into wine. They saw him multiply a few fish and a few loaves to feed thousands. They saw him not only walk on water, but then calm the seas. Can you imagine that? I mean, like, I imagine we, we, we all have stories of, of trying to calm a pet or, or a child. You know, stop barking or, or, or stop misbehaving, and it works 23% of the time. Jesus speaks to the storm, and it stops and goes still. And the disciples witness this. They, they see Jesus restore sight to the blind. And this is just a little extra tidbit. Look through the different accounts of where Jesus restores people's sight. He does it differently every time. Sometimes he's touched their eyes and then boom, you're healed. Other times he picks up some dust, spits in it, makes mud, puts it in their eyes, says go wash, and then they're healed. I mean, he does all these different things. Because it's not in the way he does it. It's because it's Jesus. I love that. So you see, sight is restored to the blind. The ability to move is restored to the lame. Life is given back to the dead and the dying. But then he's arrested, and he's murdered, hung on a cross. And the, the disciples, after all they'd seen for these past three years, their, their world has got to be turned upside down. But on the third day, Jesus conquered death, overcame the grave, revealed himself to hundreds 
of disciples. And now he's saying to these 11 men, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If you had any questions about the power of Jesus before, and then you, you probably had some doubt and other kinds of questions going up when all of a sudden you hear that he died and went to the grave. But now that you see, not only can he bring all the people back from the dead, but he can bring himself back even after he's been dead. He has power over the grave, power over death. This is the man who sitting sitting before his disciples, all authority has been given to me. He's exercising his lordship. He's saying, Jesus is God. He's saying, I'm God. All authority has been given to me. We can take hope in that. You also see in here, claim of Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Anyone else who has come before him and, and, and will come after him who claims to be God, once they die, they're still laying in their grave. They're still in the condition that they were in when they die, whether, you know, ashes or entombed. So we need to ask the question, that, you know, if we were at this scene and, and Jesus is saying this, we have to ask, who do I believe Jesus to be? Thinking back to the things we'd seen him done, and he's saying, all authority is mine. Okay, I believe you're God. I believe that's who you are, Jesus. What do you got for me? And then he gets to verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Love this passage. If you've been in church uh, uh, in, your, in your background, you probably have heard this before. It's a very common one. This is one referred to as the Great Commission. Because Jesus is commissioning his disciples. And here's what the task I leave you with. And we can kind of simplify this. Basically, Jesus says, hey, I started this ministry. I want you to go and continue it. I have all the authority. Now go and do this. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. Let's unpack that a little bit. This, this go and make disciples of all nations, that if we look at the tense of the verb, it, it tells us a little something. See, this, this is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, if you got some time on your way to the store, stop off and make some disciples. But it's saying, go and make disciples. Begin now and continue until I come back. There, there is not a, a checklist on, on the Christian life that can have a box that says, make disciples that we can ever check off. Because it's never intended to be finished in our power. It's an ongoing process that we will continue to make disciples. Ongoing in the sense of making more disciples. And ongoing in the sense of making better disciples. If I look back five years, the disciple of Christ I was then has grown. And God has worked in me through others and who have poured into me, who have discipled me into who I am today. And five years from now, I, I will be a better disciple because people continue to pour on me and we'll do life together and disciples make disciples. Not only new disciples, but better disciples. And I'm going to then pour into others. And this is the life of the disciple. Think of it this way. Think about a parent raising a child, right? So when they're young, I mean, you have a lot of influence, a lot of authority, a lot of control in their, what happens every day. But as they grow, that changes with every phase. That changes. And eventually they grow to a point where they, go, they leave your household. And they're no longer under your immediate authority or immediate care. And that they're building a family of their own. But 
you're still their father. You're still their mother, right? They're still your son or still your daughter. And you still want to pour into them. You still want to guide them and teach them and walk with them. But the way in which you do that changes. But you'll do that to the day you die. As long as there's breath in your lungs as a parent, you'll continue to, to pour into your children. It's the same as a disciple of Christ. That's what we should think about it. Until, until there's no more breath in our lungs, we should continue to pour into others because disciples make disciples. Um, going back to, to Dorothy, who you probably know as Dot, um, one of the last times I had to visit with her, um, I kind of rolled the dice a little bit. I brought my, my two-year-old, my five-year-old, my two-year-old's a little bit of a wild card. And um, by the grace of God, just, you know, he was <laughs> there and, and, and it worked out well and they, they, were, they were great and, and, and Dorothy was, was awake and um, Woody, uh, walk, her fiance, walks in and he hands me this Dr. Seuss book and says, this is her favorite. It was green eggs and ham. And so I was able to sit with the girls and sit with Dorothy and we, we read it together. It was just it was, it was a holy moment, just reading green eggs and ham. And so I've had that in my mind and, and I, I, I share all that simply as a disclaimer for this next point comes from but we think about this point of going and making disciples uh, um, we have to look at that of all nations piece we need to explain that a little bit here because uh, if we look understanding going uh, going is here going is there uh, disciples of Jesus go everywhere so a little Dr. Seuss inspiration in there but uh, going is here going is there disciples of Jesus go everywhere uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 um, this is basically, um, while, while Acts doesn't come right after Matthew, it comes after the Gospels. So you have the four Gospels that all tell uh, the story of Jesus, and then Acts begins and, and shares the Acts of the Holy Spirit as the church is uh, coming together and, and being sent out. And, and so here uh, we see, but you will receive, this is speaking to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we see this, this ever-increasing circle of uh, in your hometown, in, in Johnsburg or, or wherever you're from, if you're from surrounding towns, in, in McHenry County, in Illinois, in, in all of the world, you will be my witnesses. And so you say, all right, Steve, if, if I'm, if I'm going to go be a disciple, I'm going to go make disciples, where do I do it? I would say, yeah. No, no, give me, give me an answer. Where, where, where do I do it? Going is here. It's in Jerusalem. It's in Johnsburg. It's in, it's in McHenry. It's in uh, Spring Grove. It's in Fox Lakes and where, wherever you come from. Okay, but am I supposed to be sent out? Okay, go out to McHenry County. But let's just go to the ends of the... Going is here. Going is there. Disciples of Jesus go everywhere. And so don't feel like, hey, you know what? I'm not fulfilling the Great Commission because I haven't gone on a mission trip. There's a mission field right here in our backyards. And don't feel bad because you went on a mission trip. Or maybe you moved to Johnsburg as a mission field and, and you were from the East Coast or the West Coast or, or you know, Boone, Idaho. I don't know. But we can, we can live this out wherever we are. And so if you want more specificity as far as where you should go, I would say, well, God has you here. Go into this community. But seek his heart. And, and who knows, maybe, maybe God's preparing you to send you overseas. God was working in Adam and Audrey's heart and sent them to Belvedere. And we're able to, to celebrate that with them and encourage them in that and send them out. So going is everywhere. <coughs> we're also called the baptize 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And see, uh, baptism truly begins, before we can baptize someone, we have to introduce them to Jesus. And so kind of think of the process this way. Uh, if we're saying, how can I go, I want to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And a little side note here. Uh, um, if you say, okay, well, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I, I can't baptize people. There's that scripture that says only pastors can baptize. That, that, that's not there. And so if someone said, hey, you know, um, here's where I'm at my journey, and, and so-and-so has been a key person in my life, and, and they're follower of Christ, and they discipled me, and I'd love to have them baptize me. Man, let's have that conversation. How cool would that be to have them be a part of that? You know, and there's some sense where it makes sense to have a leadership and an organization and those kind of things. But there's no reason. It has to be a pastor. We have pastors. We have elders. We have leaders. You know, and if you have someone who's discipling with you, man, let's have that conversation. We're called to baptize, and and so the first step of that is bringing people to meet Jesus. See, we see throughout the New Testament this process of they believed. And were baptized. When someone heard the gospel, they believed, and then they're baptized. Those were the steps that they took. And so, uh, before they could even believe, they had to had to meet Jesus. Meet Jesus. They had to hear about him. They had to hear someone else's account of how they met Jesus, and then they would believe, and then they got baptized. And that began this process of uh, of being a disciple. Because see, when you're baptized, uh, both when 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 they're doing it back in the early church and even today, it, it's a sign of entering into the family of God. It's a sign of entering into the family of God. And, and see, in that setting, in one sense, it, w- it was a death sentence. Because there were communities, there were areas where there was persecution of Christians, the point of death. And, and that's still going on in our world today. Not here where we live, but in other areas of the world. So when we, when we baptize, we're uh, symbolically sharing in the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus, where we're surrendering our will to God's through obedience, because he says, hey, go and be baptized. And so we're saying, okay, I'll obey. And so that's part of what we're doing through baptism. But just the sign of entering into the family of God. I, I just got to give this little caveat here every time we talk about baptism. Baptism does not save. Salvation is found by faith through grace in Jesus Christ. Our sin is washed away by Jesus. But we're called to go and be baptized. And so it's an act of obedience is why we go and be baptized. It's an act of saying, I am with the church because the church is the body of Christ. I'm following Jesus. He is my Lord and my Savior. So salvation is in Jesus, but we're called to be obedient and to be baptized. And so for many, this, this entering into the family of God would be a death sentence. I remember hearing a missionary share a story once. He was, he was a missionary in Dubai where it has a very high uh, Muslim population. And he had story after story where uh, just how God was working in, in, in this community and people are, are hearing about Jesus and giving their lives over to Christ. And then he shares this one story. Uh, there was a friend who, who had accepted Christ and she brought uh, her friend um, to, to basically one of these meetings and to you know, hear the gospel. And as the story unfolded, this guy was kind of struck with the reality of what he was talking about as he's sharing the gospel. Because he realized that this friend that came with another friend was a devout Muslim, and his family was a devout Muslim. To the point where if he would have denounced his faith and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, it would have been a literal death sentence for him. If not, his parents, his uncles would have sought him out, and if they would have caught him, they would have killed him. 
And so all of a sudden, this guy's sharing the gospel, and he's like, this, this reality is going through my mind, and, and from a sense of safety, I almost want to withdraw from the gospel, because I don't want to put him in, in a place of, of, of uh, trouble. But then he thought about it, and he said, well, hang on a sec. If I truly believe God's word to be true, if I truly believe that the eternal life rests in Christ, then one more day on this earth and an eternity in heaven is far greater than to live old and live out the rest of his days as a Muslim and and, and die apart from God and go to hell. That was heavy when I heard him share that story. That was so heavy. But do we really believe this to be true? Because if we do, it impacts how we share Jesus with others. And so after he thought about that, he boldly shared the gospel with this young man. And as the story goes, he did give his life to Christ. And um, there was a point where, where they lost connection. And so uh, I can't tell you how the story ends except for the fact that, that this, this young man gave his life to Christ. And we can celebrate that. Maybe a question we can ask ourselves is, when was the last time you invited someone into a place where they could meet Jesus? Because scriptures say we're, we're ambassadors of Christ, as followers of Christ. And, and if you're just exploring who Jesus is, uh, you Hopefully you realize that you're on the other side of this, where we invite you to be a part of what we're doing here. Even if you don't believe Jesus is Lord and Savior, we're glad you're here. Even though you may not believe that the church is the body of Christ, come in, be a part of what we're doing here. You're welcome to be here with us and to see what it is that Christians do and what we're about, what we're trying to be. But when was the last time you invited someone to a place where they could meet Jesus? You say, Steve, well, what is that? Well, as followers of Christ, it could be our homes. Invite them over for dinner. It could be out for dinner, but with you. You could share Jesus with them. It could be inviting them to church. We invite them to an, an event in the community or an event in the church and say, hey, why don't you come out to this? Because you know, I, I trust that you'll hear about Jesus. And, and we don't try to pull any baits and bait, a bait and switch at all whatsoever. And so you'll hear me say at any of our events, like even the, the, this back-to-school blessing, you know, we, we have a gift, too, for the kids, and it's going to be cool. And, and the heart behind that is we do those kinds of things because we want you to hear the gospel. Not because we want to give you free stuff, but we just want you to hear the gospel. On Mother's Day and Father's Day, we brought in a food cart to give away free food for ladies and for the gentlemen on, on the prospective days. And um, our heart behind that is we want you to be here and hear the gospel. So if, it, if free food does it, here's some free food. We want you to hear the gospel. Invite people into a place where you know they'll hear the gospel. That's baptizing. It is an introduction to the family of God. And then there's this ongoing process as far as teaching, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is that continuation. And kind of the the piece I want to hit on with this um, is in order to teach the word of God, we need to know the word of God, which means we need to continue to be learners ourselves and students ourselves. And see, we see in John chapter 8, verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And so as a disciple, we, we abide in the word of God, which means, okay, we need to know the word of God, but then as James would say, not just hear the word of God, but do the word of God. We said it in the book of James. We need to do the word of, of God. Not just be hearers, but be doers. And if we just are hearers, we're deceiving ourselves. That's kind of like hanging from the rafters, saying I'm a light bulb. We're deceiving ourselves if we're just hearing, but not doing. So what lessons from God's word have you already heard, but are not yet doing? What lessons have you already heard and are not yet doing? So we're called to go to baptize and to teach. 
it seems like a heavy task, doesn't it? I mean, this, is, this, is some, so it be like, this is challenging stuff. How do we do this? Well, first of all, let's, let's finish out the rest of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this isn't just some, you know, you, you, you do some trick in your backyard and your buddy says, I got your back. Or this isn't even something a lot more serious to that when maybe you're going through some, some life-altering uh, trials and tribulations or sickness and you got someone by your bedside saying, I'm here with you. This is the one who just said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and I will surely be with you to the very ends of the earth. Very end of the age. I am always with you. And then we see in Acts, you know, the, the promised Holy Spirit comes upon us as followers of Christ. And so be encouraged by that. And then, uh, as far as taking the next step, honestly, I think the best question we can ask is a little bit about who the disciples were. Because as we look at who the disciples were, we'll see a couple different insights. One, how we're to live. Okay, so how did they live? That'll tell us a little bit about how we are to live. But it'll also give us insight into how to see uh, other disciples or other people that we can disciple. As we understand some of the characteristics around it. So we're going to close out with this. i got four things for you real quick. Who were, who were Jesus' disciples? First of all, they were everyday people. Everyday people. They were the B team, the, the, the minor league. They were the Diet Coke of disciples. And here's what I mean by that. Basically, in their culture, they would have gone through training in, in the religious studies, and, and basically the, the top dogs in those classes would have gone on, and you would have identified yourself under a rabbi. You would have said, okay, here's my rabbi, here's my teacher, I'm a disciple of this rabbi. And it was only kind of the, the top of the class that would take those steps and eventually in process to become a rabbi themselves someday. So they could then disciple others. So a similar process, but that would have been in the Jewish context. And so the fact that Jesus sees these young men and they're out fishing tells us something. They didn't make the cut. They didn't make the cut. And so they went back to the family business. They went back to what they knew how to do. These were fishermen and, and, and just everyday workers. It wasn't the professionals. Uh, if you're familiar with the story of, of Jimmy Wales and, and Larry Sanger, uh, in 2000, they started a, a website called uh, Newpedia. And really, their heart behind this was to gather together all these experts in, in their fields and doctors and historians and then put them, have them write articles uh, on their, their fields and put them through a very intense editing process and then post it online and kind of begin to build this online encyclopedia. And, and see, it, it proved to be a very slow process and they actually shut the pro program down three years in. And after those three years, they had about 24 finished articles and about another 75, 74 in process. So roughly about 100 articles if you count the ones that were in process after three years relying on the experts. So then about one year into this venture, so 2001, these same two guys, uh, Wales and Sagner, they set up a, another plan. Another plan to kind of be a feeder for their newpedia, and they called this Wikipedia. And the, the, the thinking behind this was, we'll open it up to everyday people. We'll still have the same rigorous editing process. We still want to make sure that it, it, it's accurate information, it's good information. But we'll open it up to everyday people to be able to write articles. And so if, if you really like golf and you know a lot about golf, hey, write an article on golf for us. And we'll post it on our website. If you are a hardcore Bear fan and you know all the details, you can go back every year and you know their record and you know all that and, and you spent time on your knees praying for your Bears, then okay, you can write that article. And if you're a Packer fan, we're just going to pray for you and forget about the article. You got enough stuff to celebrate. Leave us alone. 
<laughs> so everyday people could write these articles and go through the same rigorous editing process. And in one year of the Wikipedia site, they had received 20,000 articles. And if you're familiar with it, today it still exists, and it's actually quite healthy. Um, it's currently over 31 million articles, over 285 languages. I couldn't even name 285 different languages. It's everyday people all, all working together for this common goal, and, and that's, that's what the church is supposed to be. See, it is the responsibility of each and every one of us who, who, who claim to be a disciple of Jesus to be making disciples. Each and every one of us. I, I want you to hear this, brothers and sisters. It is each and every one of our responsibility. I know that seems weighty, but remember, all authority in heaven has been given to Jesus, and he'll be with us. And so he said, okay, well, I thought it was the professional's job. You, you as the pastor or elders or elders, well, our, our job, as we see in Scripture, is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so that's why we'll do training, we'll do teaching, all those kind of things. But we're all in this together as the body of Christ to make disciples. One quick little thing I'll throw out there is, I just always love this. You only need to be one step ahead of someone to lead them. And so if you're saying, hey, how do, I, how do I begin this process of discipling? You only need to be one step ahead of someone to lead them. So if, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you can share that with someone else and disciple them through that process. And, and as you grow in that process, hey, what's it mean to disciple? Well, I called you up and I said, here, here's how I met Jesus. Do you want to know about him? And then we went and got baptized. And you can share that. And so it's, it's a process. You can walk together. And you can pour into them. And then you can encourage them, hey, you need to go pour into someone else. And continue that process. So who is currently in your everyday life that you are or that you could be discipling? And if no one comes to mind, who are you praying about to have the opportunity, the privilege of pouring into their lives? So the disciples were everyday people. That gives me a lot of hope. They were faithful most of the time. and They had their hang-ups here and there and, and, and challenges. We all do. We, we all made mistakes. But they were faithful. Even when Jesus' teaching got really hard, they said, hey, I don't get this, but I get you. You're Jesus. You're the Messiah. And they, they, they were faithful, and they, they've continued on with Jesus. And, and see, we're called in 2 Timothy 2.2 2, to, to pass along to, to, to other faithful people the message of, of, of Jesus. I want you to listen to all, all the different steps here of, of passing it on. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The Apostle Paul is the one writing this. So we got him. He, he had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's a follower of Christ now, and he's doing awesome stuff for the kingdom. So you could say, Jesus disciple Paul. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. And he's raising him up as a young leader, as a disciple, as a pastor. So Paul is discipling Timothy. Now, what, what's Peter called to do? Paul says, entrust us to faithful men. So he's saying, Timothy... You disciple some others. You pour into them. But is it just any guys? No. Who will then teach others? And so you have Jesus, the Paul, the Timothy, the faithful men who will teach other faithful, faithful people. We go take this down the road to the us here today. Someone poured into you. Someone poured into me. Then we can continue this process with someone else. And so if we take a, a long, hard look at our own walk with Christ, I, I had to ask this question to myself before. Uh, am I a dead end on the road of discipleship? 
Am I a dead end on the road of discipleship? I still remember I had a conversation with, with four other trusted brothers in Christ, and um, we had this conversation. It was kind of one of those, uh, um, we, we had different childhoods growing up, but one thing we said, saw is we didn't really feel like they were uh, uh, Christian men in our lives who, who discipled us and who really raised us up as, as young men of God. And we had some, but really not the, the, the capacity. We were really someone pouring into our life, doing life with us. And, and we kind of made a decision. We, we can't let that be an excuse we can't be a dead end on this road of discipleship. We need to take that step and pour into others while we're continuing to you know, pray for others to pour into us. And, and God was faithful, and God did that. And he found people who would help disciple us as we discipled others. We can't be a dead end on the road to discipleship. Number three, uh, they were his entourage. I mean, they spent time with Jesus. For the most part, where Jesus was, they're the disciples. They're following him unless he sent them off. They, they were available to Jesus. They left their homes and their jobs to go and follow Jesus. Uh, he was the master of these teachable moments where he would uh, you know, point something out and say, hey, here's how this is like the kingdom of God. Sometimes they got it. Other times they'd pull them aside later. Jesus, can you explain that, that we were just talking about in front of that crowd? So what opportunities do we have to do life together with others as we disciple others? Number four, they were teachable. They allowed Jesus to reshape their lives. There's a new passion for the lost, those that don't know Jesus. There was a new desire to go and baptize and teach. And so we see that these disciples were everyday men who were faithful, available, and teachable. And so that's what we can be. As, as others pour into us, and that's what we can call others to be as we pour into them. That's what we can look for as we're seeking who we can disciple. Let me close out with this. I don't want you to to say anything. I don't just say, yeah, okay, so we started talking about, you know, I can call myself a Christian, but I want to be a disciple. I don't want you to say, you know what? I want to be a better disciple. We're not looking for any more proclamations of being a light bulb. We're not going to take turns swinging from the rafters saying, I'm a light bulb. I'm a light bulb. I want to challenge us to go be a light bulb. I want to challenge us to go and be light in a dark world to go make disciples because disciples make disciples. Let's pray. Father God, you are a great and glorious God. We just thank you for who you are. We thank you, Father God, that uh, you call us to be disciples and, and you model that as we look at Jesus, as we look at the early church and how the church fathers poured into others. Father, I pray that you would uh, bring uh, others into our life if they aren't already, that we can be discipling, that we can pour into. Father, I pray that uh, as we trust in you for that process, Father, that you would, if not already, have others who are pouring into us that we would not be a dead end on this road of discipleship, but that we would, that we would acknowledge that there are other people on a, on a spiritual journey who haven't taken steps that we've taken. And so we can introduce them to who Jesus is. We can invite them to places where they're here about Jesus. We can share the good news of Jesus, share the gospel. We can walk them through what it means to, to pray or how to read their Bible. Or, or we can seek out others and say, help me to pray, help me to read my Bible. I need to be discipled. Help us to see where we are, Father God. And to see those you've put around us to either pour into us or for us to pour into. We ask that you would bring both. Father God, I, I pray that this church would be a discipling church. And, and that generations upon generations we continue to serve you and know you because of the work of people here 
You poured the majority of your time, Lord Jesus, into 12 disciples. And through those 12, you changed the world. And so, Father, we ask that through this church here, you would change Johnsburg, change Spring Grove and McHenry and Fox Lake and Lake Morn and all the surrounding towns, Spring Grove, Ringwood, Richmond, McHenry County, Illinois, Father God, the U.S., that the world would be changed because of what you're doing here in the lives of faithful, available, and teachable everyday men and women. Walk with us on this journey, Father. We give you all the glory. We give you all the worship. Because you are God. Amen.